Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. For everybody calling our newsroom saying, why aren't you talking about the Bucks game this afternoon? It's because there is no Bucks game this afternoon. Now, I understand why there is confusion because, for example, if you look at the national ESPN website, it shows that the game is going to be played, the game that was put off because of the strike, boycott, whatever you want to call it, on Wednesday is scheduled to be played at 3 o'clock today. Matter of fact, I saw that, and I thought, oh, show's going to end at 2.30? Okay, well, no, that that's that's not accurate, and other games are apparently not going to be played as well. Bucks have put out a statement saying they are practicing today, but we, so if you were wondering, why aren't you talking about Bucks playoffs games and the time and when they're on? It's because... At least thus far, there are no games scheduled. Now, I don't know if that means there's going to be games scheduled tomorrow or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or whatever. We, we don't know. But as of now, no games scheduled for today. So no games on WTMJ. If and when the Bucks play again, we will give you the dates, the times, and we will bring that game to you. All right. A lot of ground to cover on today's show. I, I sent out a tweet about this uh, sometime yesterday late afternoon, and I'm very curious about your reaction to this. Um, you can follow me, by the way, on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But you, you look at what's going on in connection with the riots and the destruction that went on in Kenosha. And by the way, now two nights in a row where you haven't had the, lar- the, the looting and the arsons and the murders that, that we had, things have calmed down and hopefully it will continue that way. Hopefully, you know, we're, we're through the, the worst of this. But it, it's very interesting because there's some people including some people in government who, who view this as, gee, anything the, the rioters do is okay, and we're not going to condemn that. And, of course, there's other people who think, well, all right, because the, the police haven't been able to get control of the looting and the arsons, that means civilian militias should descend into town with long rifles and serve to protect property. And, and, and both of those are very, very flawed analyses. What you need to do is, in my opinion, you need to get a sufficient law in enforcement presence to make sure that law and order is maintained. You can't allow people just to riot and loot and burn things down. And and you can't similarly allow people to take the law into their own hands. And to the extent I have a criticism of the law enforcement response, I think it, it was just inadequate early on because the police were in fact overwhelmed by the number of people. I think that the state was slow to respond with appropriate National Guard troops, etc., and that led to the situations. And then, of course, you have the civilian militias that decide that they want to show up, and it led to the shootings, which are just absolutely unacceptable as well. And that's why I think it's so incumbent on civilian authorities, law enforcement, to get control of stuff and, and to maintain it and to protect people's right to peacefully protest. But I'm sorry, throwing bricks at police officers is not peaceful protest. Throwing Molotov cocktails at buildings is not peaceful protest. Looting cell phone stores and liquor stores and grocery stores is not peaceful protest and, and cannot be allowed, just like you can't have people roaming the streets with long rifles looking for people to shoot. It, it's, But it all starts with law enforcement getting control of it, and in, in the case of whether it's the governor 
or whoever, making sure that you have sufficient presence there, law enforcement presence, to discourage this. So anyhow, we, we now have seen that there is, there's lots more National Guard troops in Kenosha than there were a couple nights ago, and I think that's a one of, one of the many factors that are contributing to the fact that the, the violence has, has been dialed down. You also have federal authorities who are there providing assistance as well, and that includes representatives from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and the U.S. Marshals, etc. So one of the things that we also know led to the violence in Kenosha early on was the fact that you had a lot of out-of-town agitators who swarmed into Kenosha. You had people coming from other parts of Wisconsin who went down. You had people coming from other states who went into Kenosha. These were people who did not live in the community, and I think pretty much everybody would agree that a number of those people who came into the community came, number one, to protest, but at least a portion of them came to just let's see how much trouble that we can cause. And and that's why, you know, they were very, when you listen to the mayor and when you listen to the county executive and when you listen to law enforcement at their various press conferences, you know, they're, they're commending the people of, Wisconsin, of Kenosha, but they're saying, look, we got to get control on, on the outside forces that are coming into town, whether it's the people who are intent on, on rioting or the people who are coming from out of town intent on, quote unquote, protecting, you know, property and, and all. And and so I think that they're, they're very concerned about out of state um, or at least out of town presence, which brings me to what happened is now generating national authority late Wednesday afternoon. All right. Apparently, well, here's the statement from the Kenosha Police Department on this. The Kenosha Police Department, again, keep in mind, they are concerned with people coming from out of town. The Kenosha Police Department says that they get a tip. I'll read it for to you. Kenosha Police Department received a citizen tip alerting us to several suspicious vehicles with out-of-state plates meeting in a remote lot near State Highway 50 and Green Bay Road. Acting on this information, Kenosha police officers located the suspicious vehicles and took up surveillance. The Kenosha police were assisted by the U.S. Marshal Service. The vehicles in question were a black school bus, a bread truck, and a tan minivan. Police, Kenosha police confirmed the out-of-state license plates. Police followed the vehicles to a gas station near Washington Road and 30th Avenue. Police observed the occupants of the black bus and the bread truck exit and attempt to fill multiple fuel cans. Now, let me stop for for just a minute. You've got huge problems with people coming from out of Kenosha inciting riots and burning things down. So now you have these three vehicles that, that you find all from out of state, they, they meet up, apparently, and then they caravan to a gas station where occupants of two of the vehicles get out and start filling up gas cans. All right. All right. Suspecting, this is the release, suspecting that the occupants of these vehicles were preparing for criminal activity related to the civil unrest, officers attempted to make contact and investigate. All right. What? Hey, what's going on here? All right, the officers exited their vehicles, identified themselves, were wearing appropriate identification, and then detained the occupants, occupants of the bus and the bread truck. The minivan 
attempted to drive away. However, Kenosha police stopped the vehicle and ultimately forced entry to the minivan and arrested the occupants. So, okay, the third vehicle tries to book it once the police show up. And the police don't let it drive away. And apparently the occupants of the vehicle don't want to come out. And so, yes, they they remove them. The vehicles contained various items that included helmets, gas masks, protective vests, illegal fireworks, and suspected controlled substances. All right, now this is on top of the other two vans. They're filling multiple gas cans on the way to, you know, the scene of, What is a riot? The nine individuals were arrested for disorderly conduct and are pending charging decisions by the Kenosha District Attorney. Well, it turns out that at least some of these people are are part of this group called Riot Kitchen, which is based in Seattle. But what they do is they drive around and they provide um, protesters with with meals. And the story is that um, a group of 10 people were on their way to Washington, D.C., where they detoured to Kenosha, right? And so it's like, hey, let, let's go do this. And that's what the that's what the police found. And this is how they they reacted. So now I, I'm, I'm, list, I'm reading some of these headlines. I'm terrified for them. Some arrested in Kenosha by law enforcement in unmarked vehicles, say federal agents involved. Yeah, federal agents were involved. The U.S. Marshal Service was assisting the, the Kenosha police. And, and yes, this is ending up what happened. All right, so let's review the bidding. In a riot, three vehicles from out of state meet and caravan to a gas station where occupants fill multiple fuel cans. One of the vehicles takes off when police arrive. The vehicles contain gas masks, helmets, and vests. All right, are you outraged that the police stopped the car Remove people and apparently made arrests when they tried to take off. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question is, what would you have the police do under these circumstances? 855-616-1620. I'm sorry, on a scale of outrage with 10 being, oh my goodness, we've got to take to the streets, and zero being, seems to me that the police did exactly what we would expect of them. I'm I'm kind of right around a zero on this one. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the, the folks from this, this riot kitchen based in Seattle says we, we just feed people. Our, our mission is usually to help de-escalate. And I think that does, you know, raise the question about, uh, all right, it, it's, if you're feeding people, you know, you've got the, the gas masks, you've got the protective helmets, you're buying multiple cans of gasoline. I'm not quite sure how I see how that de-escalates the situation. But but regardless, the, the police were investigating the situation. I, I think you would expect the police under these circumstances to investigate. The reason, the way I understand it, that force was used in removing people from one of those three cars is that the car took off. All right, the police have stopped two cars to conduct this gas station. They're conducting the investigation, and the third car ignores their orders and tries to drive off. Well, I mean, yeah, of course you're going to get stopped under those circumstances, aren't you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's some text, Jeff. Feed the protesters, maybe, but you can't eat helmets, Molotov cocktails, and fireworks. It's called probable 
because, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that that's the point. You expect law enforcement to go ahead and try to investigate this. Um, I think police are doing their job. Now, somebody says, well, maybe it was a maybe it was gas for a generator. Well, maybe it was gas for a generator. I mean, look, I'm I'm not saying that these these people in these three vehicles were there to make firebombs and to throw them and burn down buildings. I, I don't know, and I'm not suggesting that they were. I am suggesting, though, that the police have every right and basis and an obligation to investigate this because it could it's be, it could be perfectly legitimate. But but clearly, given what was going on, you, you go out and you investigate. And then what precipitates at least the, the forcible arrest is one of the vehicles decides to book it. I mean, decides to take off. So imagine if you're the police and you're the U.S. Marshals. Yeah, you're, you're sitting there. You're conducting the investigation. You're trying to find out what's going on. And instead of simply getting out of the van and getting out of the bus and getting out of the bread truck and everybody saying, OK, this is our identification. This is what we're here for. This is why we're doing this. And, and by the way, this is why we're buying the gasoline, because we, we need gasoline powered generators. Or, or whatever, if that's the case. And I don't know it's the case, but if that's the case, fine. You explain that to the police, and then you, you go on your way. But under these circumstances, when you decide to try to take off, well, <laughs> the cops aren't just going to let you, and nor should they let you try to, to run. And again, I'm not here suggesting, I don't know what they intended to do with the gas cans, and I, you know, maybe you can argue the protective vests and the helmets are because they pull in in the middle of riots and they want to be able to service the protesters and things like that, so they want to be able to protect themselves. I, I take no position at all on on the legitimacy of quote-unquote riot kitchen and what the motives were in, detour, in in deciding that they were going to head off to Kenosha. But I do, I guess, say if you're the cops in this particular situation and you're there for the idea of your concern that you've got out-of-state people that are coming in and contributing to all these different problems, yeah, you, you want to investigate these circumstances. And to me, that's... That's what they they did. You know, and some people are I'm getting a text saying, well, it, it's OK. The, their website says they were just there to feed people. Yeah, that's that's what their mission is. Their mission is that uh, we just feed people, quote, our mission is usually to help deescalate. And, and that that's OK. That That's great if you're there and that's your purpose for deescalating. But then why were you buying the gasoline and why did one of the vehicles try to flee necessitating the use of force? That's that's the thing. It was the actions of the people driving, in this case, that third vehicle that started that that caused the issue. If you look, if you I I don't know if they have anything to hide or not. People are saying, you know, why? You know, why aren't you? um, You know, why aren't you uh, there? You know, why, why were they there? And by the way, people are making the point for anybody who said, well, okay, maybe this is generators. There, There were my understanding is there were no generators found. And in the vehicles, and that uh, they they never produced any generators. So I don't know why they were buying the cans of gasoline. I, I I don't. Maybe that'll come out later. But for everybody complaining about, oh, this was terrible. The U.S. Marshals and the Kenosha Police pulled these people over. Well, yes, they pulled the people over, and you know what? They should have pulled the people over. Period. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
I have a classic example of God's way of telling you that you have too much money. All right, here, here's the story. It involves a guy named Jordan King, who is one of the, the active protesters out in Madison. Apparently, this is what happens on, on Tuesday, late, I think it's like late Tuesday, late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Um, what happens is he is charged with criminal damage to property after striking the law enforcement memorial out in Madison. Um, it's located in the corner of Pinckney and Mifflin Streets. He apparently has, has a sledgehammer, and he starts beating on the law enforcement memorial. Apparently, he hit it 23 times. He has a loaded handgun when he ultimately ended up getting arrested. So it gets better. Surveillance video shows him hitting the memorial just about 12.30 a.m., then moving on to smash lights on the Capitol grounds, at least one door to the Capitol, and a window to Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes' Capitol office. The Capitol building and ground superintendent estimated the damage to the memorial at somewhere between fifteen and $50,000. Damage to the light in the Capitol property totaled somewhere around six thousand dollars they also believe the guy was smashing windows on a restaurant at mifflin street it caused an estimated twenty thousand dollars in damage so okay here you have this guy running through madison with a sledgehammer breaking windows pounding doors and and doing significant damage to the law enforcement memorial. Police say he fled across the Capitol lawn, changed his clothes in an attempt to evade arrest. In addition to the handgun, he had 40 rounds of ammunition and two bottles of whiskey in his backpack and brass knuckles in his pocket. The sledgehammer was also recovered on Capitol grounds. Now, this is one of the protest leaders. This guy is one of the faces of the Madison protests, which makes me wonder, do you really want to be associated with this guy? But but here's my larger point. King's supporters, according to the story in the Madison papers, had raised more than $5,600 for him through an online fundraiser as of Thursday. Okay, so let's take a step back here. If, if if you have somebody who causes fifteen to fifty thousand dollars of damage to a law enforcement memorial with a sledgehammer, breaks out a bunch of windows in a restaurant, breaks out a bunch of lights and tries to create cause damage to a building on the Capitol, gets caught with handgun, forty rounds of ammunition, and all this other stuff. Okay, if you have money to donate to him. It is God's way of telling you that you have way too much money. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Who's ready for Super Bowl Sunday in August? WTMJ turns back the clock to 1997 and Super Bowl 31. Names like Reggie White, Brett Favre, and who can forget Desmond Howard? Tune in this Sunday at 6 o'clock to hear the Packers' third Super Bowl championship, Packers Classic, sponsored by Health Tradition, Sitzberger & Company CPAs, and West Bend Insurance. Check that out. Um, the, the breaking news in connection with the, the Kenosha incident is the 17-year-old who has now been charged 
with murder in connection with the the shooting in Kenosha the other night. Kyle Rittenhouse, he he was arrested in in Illinois, I believe, at his home. He's from Antioch, Illinois. Um, what happened today is a judge, at the request of his attorneys, delayed the extradition. And let me, I just number of people I think are kind of kind of confused about this because. He was arrested in a different state because he was in Illinois instead of Wisconsin. And the crimes he are alleged to commit have been charged. He's been charged, you know, under Wisconsin state law. He's now in Illinois. He is entitled to what's known as an extradition hearing. Now, these extradition hearings are, are normally pretty much pro forma. The, it, it's the burden of the, the, the state that wants him. To go in and to prove that, yeah, this is this is the guy that is charged in in the case, and and there might be other sort of technical objections, but essentially what you have to do is you have to go prove that this is yes th- this person that you have in custody here in Illinois that is the guy that we are in fact looking for, and that is the guy who has been charged. Now, normally, well, it's kind of tough to say, but oftentimes. Because the, the issue is so narrow, the extradition will be waived. The, the, the person will come in and through the attorney say, look, I, I'm, I'm the person they are looking for. We're not going to make Wisconsin send an, an officer down and identify and prove that, you know, this is the Kyle Rittenhouse that was charged with all the crimes in Wisconsin. That, that's typically what would happen. But you have a right as a defendant to, to seek that. Now, in this case, because he's a 17-year-old charged with first-degree homicide and 17-year-olds in Wisconsin who are charged with that, regardless of what state you're from, are treated as adults. I, I don't know if the law is a little bit different in Illinois, so I don't know if they might be trying to maintain it. A technical objection. In addition, when he appeared today, and because of COVID-19, it, it's all done remotely. When he appeared today, he had a public defender, and one of the reasons that he was asking for, that the public defender was asking the matter be delayed is... On behalf of the defendant, the defendant, the 17-year-old, they, they expressed that he, he wants to find his own attorney, and they might be able to go try to find a private attorney. And so the decision was made, okay, he stays in custody, so he's not going anywhere, but they put off the, the formal extradition hearing until next month, I believe, September 25th. So he's not going anywhere, but it means court proceedings, at least in Wisconsin, are going to be on hold for at least a while while this is all going on. My guess is, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's not going to be too much issue with extraditing him. And it may very well happen that once he gets an attorney, if he's not going to have a public defender, if he does get, in fact, his own attorney, that the attorney agrees that th- there's nothing to be gained by just delaying the proceedings because th- there's not going to be any issue that he's the guy that there that's been charged here. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time they end up just waiving waiving their rights to have an extradition hearing and agreeing to the extradition. But what happened today is because of the serious nature of the charges, and there's no charge more serious than first-degree intentional homicide, and the fact that he at least expressed through his attorney a desire to hire his own lawyer, they just kind of put the proceedings on hold. So that's what's going on now, but he's not out on the street he's still detained and my guess is he will continue to be detained until 
you have the decision on the extradition. And then once that happens, my guess is he's going to continue to be held without bail as well. All right. When we come back, if they didn't resume play, would you care? This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, as everybody but knows by now, the Milwaukee Bucks started what has been a, a trend that's taken the sports world by storm over the course of the last couple days. They were scheduled to play Game 5 in their playoff series on Wednesday, and essentially with little or no notice to anyone, they decided they were not going to play. The phrase that's being used is a boycott. It's really not a boycott. It's I mean, A boycott is where you say... My employer's unfair, and I, I so you know don't buy their grapes. You know that, that this is more like a sort of a strike. They they went on on strike to call attention to social issues, and then of course the, the catalyst was what happened in Kenosha earlier this week. So they said we're not going to play, and then you know a number of other teams followed suit, and what ended up happening is you had the the NBA that essentially canceled all the playoff games Wednesday, Thursday. The playoff games have been canceled for today, although they are going to resume playing tomorrow. That's the latest information I have that they're going to pick up where they left off just, you know, three days later. Major League Baseball followed suit to an extent. The Brewers didn't play. Other teams didn't play. Some games did. Um, the NFL, I think most, if not all teams ended up calling off practices, but, but now th- things are back to quote unquote normal. So this three-day, let's talk about basketball, this three-day strike designed to, again, call attention to the, the social justice issues and serving as a, a protest to the police shooting in Kenosha on Sunday. But at least for a little bit of time, there, there was a question about, you know, would would the Bucks play again? Would the NBA resume playing or you know, should they just call off the season? And there's reports that for two of the L.A. teams, uh, uh, led by Kawhi Leonard, the Clippers, and LeBron James, who's with the Lakers, the, those two people were, those two superstars were pushing for, let, let's just cancel the season. Well, they've ultimately decided not to cancel the season. They're going to pick up where people left off three days later, just starting tomorrow. Now, as I said yesterday, I, I don't, I, to me, this is a good type of protest. That this is this isn't throwing bricks at police officers. This isn't lighting buildings on fire. This isn't uh, again in engaging in in looting. This is hey, we we see this issue. It is important to us. We want to call attention to the cause, and so we're going to do this. And and certainly it was started by the Bucks, and the Bucks got a lot of attention by, by doing that. And they started this this trend. It worked for three days, and now it's pretty much kind of like business as usual. In the case of the Brewers, they didn't play on Wednesday night, but they played a doubleheader on, on Thursday, lost both games of the doubleheader, but but they just picked up right where they, they left off. Basketball will pick up where it left off, just, you know, the season's three days later. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question to you. Given... Everything that's gone on this year, the, the fact that we're, we're talking about basketball playoffs in August and September instead of April and May and June, 
all necessitated because of of COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Given the fact that we're talking about a 60-game baseball season, which is now 30 games through instead of the typical 162-game season, given the fact that we're talking about an NFL season without any sort of exhibition games. All right, it's if the NBA had decided that, you know what, we really want to make a statement. We, we just don't want to have a, a three-day protest calling attention to the, these various issues. And it got a lot of attention. If, if, that was their, if that was their goal, they certainly got a lot of attention, particularly among sports fans. My question is this. If instead of deciding, okay, we're, we're going to resume playing as if, uh, again, we're going to just pick it up right where we left off on, on Saturday. All right. Would, would you care? Has the protest, has what's happened over the last couple days, has it turned you off to professional sports, or is this a situation where you couldn't be prouder of the the players for using the the enhanced forum they have to call attention to this issue? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, candidly, like I say, I'm not critical of the players for making the decision to, to take a couple games off. In all honesty, if you really wanted to make a statement, what you would probably do is say, okay, we're, we're not going to play for the rest of, of the year. I would have hated to see that happen, though, but I'm curious as to where you are. I'm glad they're going to be playing tomorrow. I, 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 I am. I'm, I'm glad of that because I, I think they accomplished their purpose. At the same time, I'm, I suspect that a lot of people just did not like what happened. Okay, 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, I will not be watching any more sports. They have lost me as an audience. Jeff, completely turned off. Won't watch the Bucks anymore. I'm the biggest Brewers fan. Didn't watch last night. Can't even tell you the result today. I found it um, freeing. Uh, Jeff, I'm turned off. People need to get back to work and win the NBA title. Jeff, I love watching sports. That's all I care to watch about on TV. However, your job shouldn't be held hostage to your politics. I wouldn't be allowed to do that. Put your money where your mouth is. Um, put money towards body cameras, towards police training. Somebody else is saying if the Bucks wanted to make a statement, what they would do is donate one game salary per player to, uh, uh, again, the... Um, rehabilitation and the medical expenses of the man that was shot. Um, um, I just, what do you think? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Leonard on the north side. Leonard, you're on WTMJ. Uh, Jeff, I could not be more proud of these young men uh, who decided uh, together to uh, put on this protest. To me, it's the day the earth stood still from the movie mm-hmm. where not only one one team one uh team but several teams and then not only there it moved over to the WNBA and then it moved over to uh the baseball teams uh you saw the young tennis player uh she decided to protest as well so i could not be more proud these guys make a lot of money they don't have to do this they're concerned about themselves. They see themselves. They see their cousins who uh, have to deal with these problems with police. And, and, you know, I bet police when they do right, but not when they do wrong. And you've got to stand up 
Otherwise, these things will continue to happen. Leonard, should they have canceled the season? Should Do they undermine the, the message that you're talking about by saying, okay, well, now we're, we're going to go back and play because there, there's really no consequence. I mean, it's not like anybody's losing any money. The season's just going to resume. Would it have been a better statement to just say, okay, we, we feel so strongly about this. We're, we're just not playing anymore. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think the one, the you know, the one, the, the three-day format brought attention. You're talking about it here. Yeah. Graffiti talks about it. You know, every uh, station, I listen to a station in Chicago, they're talking about it as well. So it brought attention. It was long enough. Could, I would have preferred a week. I didn't want to see the whole season go. Um, uh, I want to see the Bucks win the championship. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I thought it brought attention. For those who who didn't like it, who, who suddenly turned off their nerves going to a game again, bye, see ya. Wouldn't oh. want to be ya. Okay, uh, thanks for the call, Leonard. Appreciate it. 855-616-1620. And, and again, I, I, I mean, typically there are there are consequences. Now, the interesting thing about this, the, the way it has all worked out, is that this strike, and that's what it really was, it, it's... It, it was it's kind of a freebie it, it's because nobody's going to lose any money you you pick right up where you zoom but leonard is absolutely right called attention to the issue and you you have people talking about it and i guess there's a valid there is a validity to that i guess i do raise the question that all right if if that's what it's really all about would you have been better off if we agree that this is a legitimate tactic, I mean, you know, dealing with what the real consequences would be if, if money ends up coming out of your pocket. Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I took Hi, my bucks cap to all the players who decided to do this, but I believe it would have sent a stronger message to everybody if they would have said, that's it, we're canceling the season. It certainly would have got the attention of people who aren't basketball fans. That would have been quite a move on their behalf. You know, this is kind of like a, well, we're off today and back at it tomorrow. And, yeah, it's sending a bit of a message, but I don't know. I, I think it would have been a lot stronger if they just would have said, that's it, the season's over. Yeah, no, th- thanks. For, well, I think it definitely would have been. And that, because like, like I say, it's, and and look, if, if you decide that you want to engage in a, in a strike or a protest to support a cause, I, that that that's fine, and like I say, this in my mind was a good what I would call a good protest. Nobody, it wasn't like people got hurt. There's no violence. It calls attention to th- this issue. Um, th- this isn't like somebody being put in jail though for you know a, in participating in a sit-in. This is okay. We're we're going to make a statement. We're going to call this issue, and then then it's going to be business as usual a couple days later. Now that doesn't diminish. The, the value, I guess, of the statement necessarily. I'm, I've got, I'm getting just a ton of text on this, as you might expect, and a lot of people are turned off by it. Uh, for me, am I going to pay attention to basketball? Yeah, I'm, to, to the extent uh, sports as, as a listener and a viewer has kind of been diminished for me this year just because of all the stops and starts and COVID, and I've kind of fallen out of that habit. But, you know, am I still going to root for the Bucks? Yeah, yes, I am. Um, am I still going to watch the games or listen to the games when they're involved? Yeah, I, I am. But at the same time, I mean, if you're talking about these social justice protests, I wonder if what they did was, was a half measure, not taken away from their desire, but was this a, a half measure? And if you wanted to really serve something, should you have just said, okay, we're going to just shut this all down at at risk financially to us, financially to the NBA, financially to all the partners? Glad they didn't do it, but at the same time, 
I don't know, this protest, it called attention to the issue, but it was really with no consequence. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Looking at the radar, I'm now, Melissa, years and years ago, uh, the, the lead meteorologist at our, our formerly we, we shared a corporate identity with our friends at today's TMJ4, mm-hmm. and the lead meteorologist for years and years was Paul Joseph. That was way before your time. Mm-hmm. And Paul would always send over th- these notes instructing those of us on the air that we were not meteorologists and oh. so we should not interpret the radar <laughs> so you'd, you'd look at this radar and there'd be like well, these big blotches of red and dark yellow and stuff but we, we weren't supposed to interpret it so and it, it used to infuriate paul that i would say things like it looks like it's going to rain like hell you know and paul, <laughs> paul, you're, you're interpreting the radar no i'm just kind of looking outside yeah, that's and, probably and, something you might say well, today well right maybe exactly <laughs> well you just kind of like look at that but you always you know and, and and interestingly enough like people in in the weather center here and this is just kind of a funny story mm-hmm. it, it's of course it, it's all self-contained like we're in an interior studio so i don't have access to windows unless I, I go out and look and the same thing is true for the tv studio and the, the weather center and so you know, they'd be looking at the radar and every once in a while especially when i used to do tv i'd go over and i'd kind of kid around i'd say maybe you guys want to walk out on the loading dock and just kind of look at what's really you know what, right. what you're seeing here and you know before i come into the studio i go past a window right well, it, <laughs> like one window i'm like oh it looks really gray and dark it, it, out exactly yeah. Or, yeah. or whatever now i bring that up because we're of course watching the potential for severe weather mm-hmm. and it looks like just a, a a big swath of rain, particularly Milwaukee and North, has just kind of moved through our area and now looks like, at the risk of interpreting the radar, is now over the lake. Yeah, it looks like it's over the lake now. It also it has lots of colors in it, so it's a lot of a lot of things. Right. Well, also, <laughs> though, that's... I think that's at the risk of, again, yeah, I'm not we a don't meteorologist, want, not a meteorologist right. Right. but I, I think that's actually kind of good in a way because they're, they're, we're on the lookout for severe weather later on today, and at least what everybody was telling me was if to the extent you get this rain through now and maybe it cools it down a little bit and gets some of the moisture out, mm-hmm. that that might lessen the chances for really severe weather later on. And so talking to Brian Goddard over the past few years um he he, having the lake so close by that causes a lot of problems because the lake you have the lake effect in the winter it just uh creates a different dynamic when it comes to giving the weather and interpreting it right i am always so amazed at at the difference as somebody who lives relatively close to the lake and always has i mean i'm a north shore guy Mm -hmm. and versus like where my my brother lives in pewaukee it's just it's amazing amazing. the the difference that you have the temperature difference can be you know 15 degrees and i live on the north shore as well and it's so humid by the lake all the time there's never a day of it you know in the summer so in any event it's uh, now 73 degrees i think it was in the 80s when i sat down here about an hour ago Mm -hmm. so i think what's happening happened is that's moving through and and it looks like it's going to be a great weekend and from the perspective of somebody who after the radio show has to go to a wedding and i have not has to that's not the way to look at you're it. going I, to go i i attending right, I, yeah. I, I am i am attending a wedding in lake geneva this like late afternoon and stuff and it's supposed to be an outdoor wedding so I am. I mean, it, it's at a place. So I'm. I'm hoping very much that that. We well, you know that, what they say. The rain on your wedding day. They say if it rains, that's good luck. 
Is it? That's what they say. Okay. And not for people who have their wedding outside, but... gru <laughs> uh, has got a wedding coming up, or is that... Is it outside, Gru? Yeah, it'll be outside. Okay. So you're going to be I hoping... I hope it doesn't rain. I know. <laughs> okay, well, I, I told this story before. As man, we've got, I've sidetracked myself. It's my fault. Um, I, I have some very, very dear friends, and they... They participate in this tradition called burying the bottle. Ooh. And last year, they were having a huge outdoor wedding. But the, the tradition is, and it's actually it's a Southern tradition, 30 days before the wedding, you take a bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey, and there's this little ceremony, and there's a saying, and you bury the bottle, like in the garden mm-hmm. where the, the wedding is going to be, and it guarantees you that it's not going to rain. Now, I thought this was, number one, ridiculous, and number two, a waste of really, really good whiskey. <laughs> I was going to say, X marks oh, the spot. Oh, okay. Go back well, and well, get well, it later. Okay, well, <laughs> no, so so what what happens is, and, and we got invited, and it was actually, it was kind of an, ex- it, to me, it was sort of like a fun little thing to do 30 days before the wedding, and so every, you know, they, they had a small party beforehand, so you know maybe it was like 15 or 20 of us and he had dinner afterwards so it was a yeah. nice little get together but i was not a believer okay so this wedding was last year and this was a huge outdoor wedding we're talking like four or five hundred people mm-hmm. all week the forecast is noah get ready to build a boat because <laughs> it's just going to pour and, and all all week that was the forecast including that that morning and i know all the people my my wife was helping you know organize and put on the wedding because it's Kind of, she helps friends do those kind of things. And so, I mean, it was like, okay, what is plan B going to be? We know they had big tents and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but still it's like, okay, if it starts to rain, it, this is, you, you got 500 people coming for the ceremony and it's going to be outside and it's going to be just, just, there's no really good plan B for, for that. Right. And I'm looking at the forecast and it says it's going to rain, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. It did not. It, it did not. Wow. No rain that whole day. So, Gru, is that something you will potentially think about doing, burying a bottle you of do it 30, Jack Daniels? you got to do it 30 days before. Yeah. When's, your, when's your wedding? That's the thing. In about two weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, you're inside. The, you got to do it 30 days <laughs> yeah, before. Well, I, I missed the mark, but I don't think I'd want to wait 30 days anyway. You know, if the you, you suddenly get down. dry, you're like, no, give me the shovel. i got to go out there and <laughs> well, dig it up. Well, okay, so that that's then that's the follow-up to this story. So they buried the bottle. I'm the one sitting there saying, okay, this has to be marked because what I want to do is after the wedding, I want to make sure we dig this up and have a party where we drink the <laughs> bottle. And they did. They did. Oh. <laughs> they, they, they marked it. And then, you know, somebody went out into the garden and dug it up. And now that, that bottle is sitting on, on the, uh, in the liquor cabinet of my, my friends. They Absolutely. should have played a game saying, all right, people, we got to dig up the backyard to try to find the bottle. Well, yeah, no, I just, um, no, 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 no. I was, it, it was like, we, we have to mark this somehow. You have to have an X marks the spot because, mm-hmm. and, and actually th- this was reflective of my friends with the Sperry the bottle story, because I, I don't think the rule says how big a bottle it might have, it might be. So, I mean, I'm thinking if it was me, it would be a pint or it's fifth. They had like this quart. I mean, it, it's a, it's <laughs> a those. big those bottle of Jack Daniels. I'm thinking we got to dig this up yeah. at some point in time. So, um, bury the bottle and it ended up working. So I should have, I should have mentioned that to you, but you're getting married, um, ways away from here. You have to do it at yeah. the site of the location. So. Yeah, way up in Escanaba. I'm not going to drive oh, four hours just to bury a bottle of booze. Okay, that's, that's what you say now, except if it rains like heck on your wedding day, you're going to be saying, damn, I oh, wish I Jeff would have told me about that, that burying the bottle stuff. All right, we're going to get back on track in just a minute. Some people extremely unhappy with Governor Evers. Is it justified? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Everybody's taking a walk down memory lane. I'm getting all these texts about, yeah, I remember Paul Joseph and all those sort of things. Yeah, Paul was an institution here. The the other the other TV weather, and this is when I was a kid. This, yeah, and this, this is why, for me, it's such a great pleasure and honor to work for WTMJ Radio. This is a, a radio station, a TV station that I, I grew up watching as, as a kid and to have the opportunity to be on the radio for 20 plus years here, 22 years plus, and, and also, I mean, five or six years on the TV station. That, that was just great. I always, the other weatherman I always remember grew way before your time. There was a weatherman before Paul Joseph. Um, his, his name was, was Bill Carlson, and he was kind of like the dean of, of weather people. And back in the day, they, they used to have the weather people. They don't do this anymore, but they used to do live commercials during during the newscasts and so like you know like we we will do live reads now nowadays they don't do that but they'd have the weather guys do do live commercials and he used to do carlson used to do this commercial for a coffee and i i want to say it's butternut coffee but i could be wrong but anyhow they'd have like a little table and this is live during the news and he'd walk over and he, he what he was supposed to do is he's like reading the copy talking about how great the coffee is and he'd pick up the coffee can you know it was one of those those big like pound coffee cans or whatever why one of the they'd always pull pranks on him and one time what they had done is they had cut the bottom out of the coffee can. So he, he's on live TV. He goes over. He's talking about how great this, this coffee is, whatever the, the coffee was. And he goes, and he's supposed to lift it up. And he lifts it up, and just all the coffee dumps out. It, just one of those kind of cute, harmless, little, like, fun <laughs> pranks. And, of course, you know, everybody breaks up. But that that's Bill Carlson. It's, um, yeah, it's. Those were the days. It's we're, we're much more sophisticated nowadays. I, I guess you don't you don't see that type of stuff going on. But it it did in it did in fact happen. It was always just kind of a lot of fun. All right, let us I, just a momentary kind of diversion because unfortunately, just so much bad stuff going on and, and so much serious stuff to talk about. I, I said this yesterday. I mean, it's just whether it's the 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 social unrest or the the hurricanes that are hitting the country to the the pandemic that we've been you know dealing with since you know February or March to all the political angst it's just it's just 2020 is a giant poop sandwich there's no other way to look at this and and it's I, I've been talking to some people they say well you've always got a lot to talk about on the show and I said well yeah there's a lot to talk about but unfortunately it's it's all these relentlessly negative things and I just I, I strive to try to find stuff other than COVID or or social justice and the politics and stuff, but it's it, it's such a dominant thing, and and that's unfortunately why it dominates some of the programs. All right, um, Governor Evers was in Kenosha yesterday. It took him four days to get to Kenosha. He's getting a lot of criticism for that. I, I think it's fair to say that Tommy Thompson or Jim Doyle or Scott Walker would have been in Kenosha to try to you know see firsthand the conditions caused by the rioting and try to talk firsthand to some of the people that were on the ground. I think any of our previous governors would have been there probably by Monday after what happened on, on Sunday night. But, you know, the governor, for whatever reasons, decided that he was going to wait in, until Thursday. The excuse given was, well, you know, he was in touch with people, and, and there's a value to that, but it's not the same as being on the scene. And um, then the other excuse given was, well, this, this is COVID. Well, okay, well, you, you've got access to a plane, or you can get in a car, and it's it's only Madison to Kenosha. But in any event, he's getting criticism for that. I, I don't think it makes much difference other than perhaps bad optics to wait for a couple days. What is different 
is the, the statement that the governor put out Sunday, which is getting a lot of criticism. Matter of fact, there, there there's an editorial that ran in the Kenosha News yesterday. It's now in the Madison Papers, the Racine Journal Times, and it's followed up by a letter sent by a number of law enforcement entities highly critical of the governor's initial reaction. Okay, and let me just read you a portion of the editorial that originally ran in the Kenosha News. Um, on Sunday... This is a quote now. On Sunday, Evers sent an outrageous statement that fueled the flames by taking sides in an explosive situation in Kenosha that should go through the courts and to a jury. Here is what he sent. Quote, Jacob Blake was shot in the back multiple times in broad daylight in Kenosha. Kathy and I joined his family, friends, and neighbors in hoping earnestly that he will not succumb to his injuries. While we do not have all the details yet, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state and in our country. We stand with all those who have and continue to demand justice, equality, and accountability for black lives in our country. Lives like those of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, Tony Robinson, Denise Hamilton, Ernest Lacey, and Seville Smith. And we stand against excessive use of force and immediate escalation when engaging with black Wisconsinites. I have said all along that although we must offer our empathy, equally important is our action. In the coming days, we will demand just that of elected officials in our state who have failed to recognize the racism in our state and our country for far too long. And end quote. All right, now the Kenosha News in their editorial says, you would think as Evers sent this, he would have made sure the Wisconsin National Guard was on its way to Kenosha to deal with the inevitable protests and looting, but no, he did not do that. Then it goes through the, the fact that there, you know, the, the Guard didn't get there till much later. Uh, the letter sent by various members of the law enforcement community, including the president of the Wisconsin Badger State Sheriff's Association, the president of the Chief of Police Association, the um, the president of the Wisconsin Sheriff's and Deputy Sheriff's Association, and the president of the Wisconsin Police Executive Group, says this, Governor Evers, the purpose of this letter is to respectfully ask that those in your administration discontinue and refrain from making statements and issuing press releases specific to the city of Kenosha police involved shooting until the facts of the investigation are known. Previous remarks and statements made by each of you, and it's also directed to Lieutenant Governor Barnes, are premature, judgmental, inflammatory, and only add to the anger and divisiveness of an already dangerous situation. A continued pattern of statements and press releases based on opinion and unsubstantiated claims put people lives at risk. These are not peaceful protests. There have already been two deaths and many injuries. Continued remarks like those already made by each of you also put the lives of law enforcement officers, National Guardsmen, and the public at risk. Law enforcement leaders also respectfully ask that you call for an end to these riots and a stop to violence. 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, again, I, I think... I think the criticism that he didn't get to Kenosha until yesterday, that, that's, that's optics more than, than anything else. Although I do believe, like I say, that other governors would have been there right away. The, the initial statement that came out of the governor, from the governor on, on Sunday, I, I agree. I was kind of a little bit taken aback from it by it because it, it, it didn't call for calm. It, it didn't, it, it, clearly has has prejudged an issue and, and again i i'm waiting 
I'm waiting the results of the investigation, and, and we will talk about it at great length once the full investigation is known. But the, the governor kind of waited in, and candidly, I don't think his comments on Sunday were, were helpful. And I understand why these editorials are appearing, and I understand why law enforcement is upset as they are. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the governor, at least in his initial reaction, mishandle this situation, knowing what we know now? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I swear I do not understand some of the texts I get. All right, my my point was I, I firmly believe that whether it was Tommy Thompson or Jim Doyle or Scott Walker, after the riots in Kenosha, they would have been there the, the next day. And one of the notes is um, right here, Walker lost. Get over it. It is what it is. <laughs> no, I don't even know what that means. It It is... It is what it is. Okay, well, what, what it is is, again, I think other governors would have figured out a way to get from Madison to Kenosha um, the, the first day after all the riots and, and the property destruction. Now, again, to me, it, it's that, that's optics. I, I'm more concerned with the, the, the inflammatory statements that came out, and especially the initial statements that really downplayed the potential for, for violence. And instead of coming out and immediately calling for, for calm and, and let's, let's try not to overreact. Let's let the system work out and, and let's all, you know, let's let cooler heads prevail. What you had is a governor who again kind of, kind of jumped on, clearly took one side and, and, and his position may well very, t- well turn out to be justified once the investigation was done. Jeff, he completely mishandled this situation. Um, Jeff, you cannot blame the governor he simply had no clue what to do well okay um the, i i understand but but that's that's kind of the idea the the instinct was okay we're, we're not going to call for peace we're not going to condemn all the rioting we're going to perhaps inflame the situation i understand why the law enforcement community would be upset about this jeff governor evers was talking out of both sides of his mouth he makes a crazy rush to judgment and then doesn't show up till yesterday in kenosha um, well, okay, again, sh- failing to show up till yesterday, that's an optics thing. The, the initial statements, though, I, I think that was just incredibly bad judgment. Um, and the refusal to, again, recognize that, y- yes, what happened with the shooting is appalling. And then you have, and, and again, I, I'm waiting for the investigation to determine whether or not there's criminal charges or whatever, but you have somebody that's dead. But, you know, what you need to be doing is you need to be saying, okay, let's all be calm. Let's cool this whole thing down. Let's let the system work. Let's not decide that we're going to take to the streets, throw bricks at police officers and burn down stuff. And let's make sure we get, as I've been saying for the last week, let's make sure that right away we get enough of a of a law enforcement presence, including cops and the National Guard and whatever, to make sure that people's lives and property are protected. And so it doesn't set off this chain reaction where you have a bunch of Looney Tune people on the other side, citizen militias who decide that they're going to take guns and they're going to take to the streets. I mean, you just, you know, the, the role of government is to provide law and order and to control situations. And we didn't do a very good job of that for the first couple of days in Kenosha. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
just received uh, a news release, an email that was put out by, it, it's the law firm that I believe represents the Kenosha Professional Police Association. I, I, I read it to you just to offer the perspective. It's from uh, Brendan P. Matthews, who is, um, again, one of the one of the attorneys, um, Sermelli and Matthews, um, which is the attorneys that I believe represent the Kenosha Professional Police Association. This was just sent out, oh, about 13 or 14 minutes ago. I, I read it to you um, it, verbatim, just for perspective. Jeff, uh, but it, it's, it's addressed to me and a number of other people in the media. The recent officer-involved shooting in Kenosha has produced a variety of feelings and narratives, most of which are wholly inaccurate. The purely fictional depiction of events coming from those without direct knowledge of what actually occurred is incredibly harmful and provides no benefit to anyone whatsoever other than to perpetrate a misleading narrative. Um, The lawyers for Mr. Blake, among others, have continued to provide false and misleading quote-unquote facts to the public. Again, I'm I'm quoting from the, the statement. In what can only be considered a play for attention and sympathy. Unfortunately, even the incident update from the Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigation, the agency charged with investigating the incident independently, is riddled with incomplete information and omits important details that would help paint a more complete picture of the incident. While DCI updated that release earlier today, it is still lacking. The Kenosha Professional Police Association, including the officers involved, believe the public deserves to know the truth. Again, I'm I'm quoting verbatim from the email. Here are the actual and undisputed facts. The officers were dispatched to the location due to a complaint that Mr. Blake was attempting to steal the caller's keys vehicle. Officers were aware of Mr. Blake's open warrant for felony sexual assault, third degree, before they arrived on the scene. Mr. Blake was not breaking up a fight between two females when officers arrived on the scene. The silver SUV seen in the widely circulated video was not Mr. Blake's vehicle. Mr. Blake, and again, I'm quoting quoting verbatim from this release. Mr. Blake was not unarmed. He was armed with a knife. The officers did not see the knife initially. The officers first saw him holding the knife while they were on the passenger side of the vehicle. The main video circulating on the Internet shows Mr. Blake with the knife in his left hand when he rounds the front of the car. The officers issued repeated commands for Mr. Blake to drop the knife. He did not comply. The officers initially tried to speak with Mr. Blake, but he was uncooperative. The officers then began issuing verbal commands to Mr. Blake, but he was noncompliant. The officers next went to hands-on with Mr. Blake so as to gain compliance and control. Mr. Blake actively resisted the officer's attempt to gain compliance. The officers then disengaged and drew their tasers, issuing commands to Mr. Blake that he would be tased if he did not comply. Based on his non-compliance, one officer tased Mr. Blake. The taser did not incapacitate Mr. Blake. The officers once more went hands-on with Mr. Blake, again trying to gain control of the escalating situation. Mr. Blake forcefully fought with the officers, including putting one of the officers in a headlock. 
A second taser from a different officer then had deployed the initial taser, was then deployed on Mr. Blake. It did not appear to have any impact on him based on the inability to gain compliance and control after using verbal, physical, and non-lethal means. The officers drew their firearms. Mr. Blake continued to ignore the officer's commands, even with the direct threat of lethal force now present. The foregoing facts need to be added to the story to correct what is currently out there. As the uncontested facts, and again, I'm quoting from the attorney's release. As the uncontested facts above demonstrate, the officers involved gave Mr. Blake numerous opportunities to comply. He chose not to. None of the officers involved wished for things to transpire the way it did. It is my hope that truth and transparency will help begin and will help begin and aid in the healing process. Thank you, Brendan P. Matthews. And again, it's the law firm that I believe represents the Kenosha Professional Police Association. I, I, I put that out there because it offers it offers a, a different perspective than was offered by you know, the governor several days ago and a different perspective than's been presented. I, I take no position on the accuracy of any of this, but this this is presumably the, the position and what at least the, the police officers involved in the Kenosha Professional Police Union believes to be the underlying facts of the matter. I'm going to send this out on, I'm going to try to put it in a form where I can send it out on, on a tweet. And again, that, that's one of the reasons why I, I've been one of the people preaching that, that we need to, you know, wait for all the facts to develop. I think there's still underlying issues about the the actual decision to fire the pistol to, to, to shoot somebody in the back on multiple occasions but if, if this is accurate it gives a perhaps more complete perspective on all the circumstances it also underscores and and again i don't care if you're a conservative or a liberal or a republican a democrat i, I don't care if you're somebody who supports the black lives matter movement or or somebody who you know opposes the social justice movement i don't care who you are it's another one of these examples where the sooner communities put body cameras on police officers the better this is going to be the kenosha police officers involved in this incident the other night did not the other day did not have body cameras despite the fact that the common council had urged body cameras three years ago and, and so as a result all we have is is the the 20 or 30 seconds of video which shows the the end of the, the confrontation instead of showing the entire confrontation i have believed for the longest time and i say this repeatedly that if you put body Body cameras on police. I think it would make police officers' lives a lot easier because my guess is, my estimate would be, nine out of the ten times they get complaints for mishandling the stuff. Nine out of ten times, if they had the body cameras, those cameras would show that they behaved in a responsible, professional fashion. But here, we don't have those cameras, and all we have is the cell phone video of the end of the confrontation. So, again, if nothing else comes of this, maybe it's a commitment to figure out ways to get the money to equip police departments with body cameras so that we're able to at least see all the things that transpired or at least get more than just a particular cell phone perspective. In any event, I'll try to find a, do a link and send this out. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Welcome back. I, I will send that 
that statement out um, on on Twitter. I just need a need a couple minutes to figure out, put it in a form, so that I can end up doing it. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But uh, it's a statement again put out by who I believe is the attorney for the Kenosha Professional Police Association, giving a a much more detailed perspective, at least from the viewpoint of, of the officers, uh, what happened leading up to the shooting on Sunday. Um, People can decide. And again, we're, we're still awaiting the investigation results from the Department of Criminal Investigation. Okay, let us switch gears. If you were to do a survey, and I think it is probably consistent with this issue when we have talked about it before, even if they get a vaccine for COVID-19, I would say that there's about one in three Americans, one in three people would decide that they're not going to get it, even if it were approved by the FDA and even if it were free, I'd say about one one in three. And I'd say there's maybe another out of those those remaining two thirds. I'd say there's maybe 20, 30, 40 percent who, who wouldn't get it right away. They wouldn't want to be the, the quote unquote guinea pigs in, in the first batch of people to get it. So here here is the issue. Employers. I mean, one of the reasons, of course, many people are now working from home, places are shut down, etc., is because employers don't want somebody who's sick coming into the workplace and infecting everyone else. That's why we have the, the work at home sort of thing. So let us assume that we get this vaccine and let us assume that employers still have this concern. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If your employer told you that you had to get the vaccine as a condition of continuing to work, would you do it? Now, there, there, we do have some degree of mandatory vaccinations in this state and in this country. Hospitals, for example, typically require workers to get a flu shot every year in order to protect themselves and protect patients. We have requirements that, that kids, as a general rule, have to have vaccines to, to go to school. But but typically, if you don't work in a hospital sort of setting, I mean, we are encouraged to get flu shots, but you, but you don't have to. All right, now, is COVID-19 different? Should employers require people as a condition of continuing to work have to get the vaccine once we get a vaccine 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line my take on this is that i think employers should encourage it but in this particular case i don't think that they should mandate it and but i think that they should encourage you know people to do this and i guess that the bottom line of all this is all right if somebody else chooses not to get the vaccination is once vaccines are available i get the vaccine at least i have protected myself if a coworker decides not to do it at least i've protected myself from that coworker if he ends up getting sick from the perspective of the employer though it's still the same concern you know somebody gets covid-19 they're out for a couple weeks or whatever or they infect somebody who maybe has the compromised system, you know, and you've got problems. Do I think they should encourage people to do it? Yes. Do I think they should mandate people? I'm not as comfortable with that. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Gianni and Montello. Gianni, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, yeah, we're st- who knows what's going to happen this autumn. But no, as far as a vaccine, wh- when it when in, 
a pharmaceutical company can demonstrate that they have a safe and effective vaccine to one percentage or another, I wouldn't have a problem taking it. Um, as far as the Russian vaccine, um, I, I think I'd probably want to stay away from that. But as long as it's gone through several trials and there are no um, health health effects or um Do you think employers should be able to mandate employees get it? You can't come back to work unless you have this vaccine. Great question, Jeff. And I, I do think they can mandate it because in fact, they're supplying the health insurance. And, well, you know, what if someone is out for, for a month or more uh, it, or, or incurs, um, you know, a million dollars worth of, of hospital costs because of, of, of lung failure or a massive infection? So I, I think it's the lesser of two evils. We, we take the flu vaccine every year for a reason. And I think you can apply that to this, you know, this coronavirus. Um, the, the, the company that, you know, probably doesn't want the uh, you know the added expense and loss of of um, you know workers for for a potentially uh, you know okay so what, let, me, let, me, let me throw the but flip side let me give you the flip side let's say somebody takes it they, who otherwise would not have but is forced to do so by their employer and then they have an adverse reaction to it just I mean hypothetically um, would the employer be liable for that do you think uh, that is a good question um, and it. You would have to ask: um, Does the other, does the, that person have get the flu vaccine every year? Uh, yeah. But I, I, I don't think that they would necessarily be liable, Jeff. Okay. Um, you know, th- this is to protect the entire staff in a building that's going to be, you know, uh, the people are, are cloistered in, in these buildings over winter and, and spring. And um, I, I just don't think there would be a liability associated with that. But if you don't like the policy, you know, the, the, you can get a, a different job. Right. Well, that's it. I mean, thanks for noticing that, that. That's it. I mean, that that's that's always the the choice. That, um, for example, like say in hospitals, unless you have. Now, it varies from hospital to hospital, but unless you have a, a documented medical excuse, you're expected to get one because a flu shot because you're you know you're you're going to be dealing with you're going to be dealing with patients um many of whom are you know compromised perhaps have you know different health issues and stuff so the last thing you want as as an employee is to have some interaction with some patient and then make them them sicker so that's the justification now of course that typically doesn't historically that hasn't applied to businesses outside of like the, the healthcare area. I mean, most insurance companies, for example, don't mandate that people get flu shots. Now, again, the hospital situation is a little bit different. Um, but, but now you have this issue with even if they have a right to do it, what, what is the effect and, and should they do it? Like I say, I think, I think once you get an approved vaccine, but I, I'm a guy who gets a flu shot every year. I think once you get an approved vaccine, I, I think I, I think it's going to be a smart thing, unless you've got some reason not to, to, to probably get the COVID-19 vaccine. And I, I will I will do it once my doctor tells me that he thinks that it's safe, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have a problem getting shots and things like that. I think the employers would do well to encourage people to do that, again, once the FDA approves it. That next step, though, of requiring somebody to do it as a condition of being able to come back to work, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole different story. And my guess is if you were going to do that, even if you might have the legal right to do it, 
My, my guess is you'd have just an uproar in, in the ranks for a lot of people who, again, are deciding, you know, we we don't want to take what we perceive to be the quote unquote risk of, of doing that. And our employer shouldn't make us do that as a condition of coming back to work. Like I say, if people want to protect themselves, they get the vaccine themselves and theoretically that that's that's going to give them immunity to it. Now, I bring this up because this is one of the issues that's percolating out there, because even if we get a vaccine, if we get a vaccine and, and the sooner we get one, the, the better this is all going to be, because the, the longer we go through this pandemic, the more convinced I become that the way I, I am, that the way out of this isn't it isn't until we're going to be able to get a vaccine. I think that's just going to be the reality. So. The sooner we get one, the better. But then the issue is going to be how far can we go in forcing people to do it and to take it? And what are the roles of employers? Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, the, the pictures are just just absolutely amazing and i say that in a bad way the kenosha news has just released aerial photographs of the damage the destruction caused by the riots in kenosha if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 um you you can just i've got a link to their story with all the different aerial photographs and it's one thing to hear oh this building was looted or this was burned down or whatever it's another thing to to see them um you know atf's national response team is apparently now in kenosha assisting and investigating the the arson cases and i i think it's just important to keep coming back to that because with, with all the 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 legitimate commentary on social justice issues and the questions about the shooting and again I as soon as I can make the mechanics of this work I'll I'll put a link to the statement that came out from the Kenosha from the attorney for the Kenosha Police Union that offers well I, it offers a, a sort of different narrative or at least completes the narrative as to why the officers were on the scene and what was done in the events leading up to the decision to shoot Jacob Blake. Now, again, at the end of the day, the question's going to be, you know, was the shooting justified under all the circumstances? And, and that's a decision that's going to have to be made. But at least the statement that's been put out by the attorney for the police union, it offers a, a more complete picture as to what the interaction was, if it is in fact accurate, why the officers were there in the first place, and what what happened as the as it escalated and escalated, ultimately leading to the shooting. And again, the, the ultimate question is going to be, was the shooting justified? But clearly, the, this statement provides a bunch of extra details that give a much more complete picture, I think, of what was going on in the minutes beforehand. And this whole encounter, I mean, it just went from zero to 60 in, in, in like less than a couple seconds. The, the, the whole incident, I mean, the police, from the police arriving to the, the shooting, I think it was only a couple minutes. And it does show how stuff can escalate. If you want to see the pictures again of the aerial pictures of the devastation of what rioters did in Kenosha, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 and I will get a link, I promise. All right. The the Republican National Convention convention ended ended yesterday. It was a convention like no other, um, held 
essentially virtually, even though there there were some in-person things, including the in-person speech that President Trump gave to a number of supporters at the White House yesterday. If you read the national media accounts, it was a complete and total flop. That's, of course, that it's the spin. And I, I read the New York Times so you don't have to. I read the Washington Post so you don't have to. I, I read the Los Angeles Times so you don't have to. I mean, the, the general... The, the general approach was, oh, this was dark, Republicans are evil, this was just terrible, Trump hasn't learned anything, all the Republicans that spoke at the conference were all they were were enablers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That, that's the, the mainstream media play on this. Whether that turns out to be the case or not, I, I, I don't know. I expect over the course of the next couple weeks, the, the polls in this race are going to narrow. That, that's, that is my my sense. Um, not necessarily because of, of the convention, but because I think there's a couple things going on. And, and the biggest factor is I think that there are Republican voters who might be ambivalent to President Trump who I think are going to come home. That that's what you that's what you saw four years ago. You saw people who I think were kind of on the fence, but at the end of the day, the Republicans decided to, to come home and, and typical Republican voters voted for the Republican candidate. Um, right now, if you look at a lot of the polls, Biden is getting 96, 97% of, of Democrats. Trump is getting 85, 86%. It varies from poll to poll of the, of the Republicans. I think that's going to change a little bit, and that's why I think there's going to be a, a narrowing of the race. Does that mean that I think President Trump is ahead? No, not necessarily, but I, I do think that the race is going to be narrow, and my sense is that it, it's actually a closer race now than maybe some of those national polls are showing. One of the big things that's going to move the needle next is going to be the debates, Right now, there are three debates scheduled. The first one is scheduled for September 29th, so essentially a, a month from now, and then there's two more after that. Now, in some respects, that, that's key because many states, with the early voting, many states, will have, people will have begun voting before September 29th, before there's even that first debate. So, you know, if you've already voted, the chance of the debate changing your position or anything isn't going to happen. My guess is the people that vote before September 29th, whatever happened in the debate isn't going to make up their minds. It's not going to change their opinion one way or the other. They're going to be committed to vote for whichever candidate they vote for, come heck or high water. But the first debate is scheduled for September 29th. Nancy Pelosi, remember her? She's She is out there, and yesterday she said that, you know, I don't think there should be any debates. This is quotation. I don't think there should be any debates, she said yesterday. I do not think the President of the United States has comported himself in a way that anybody should that has any associations with truth, evidence, data, and facts. I wouldn't legitimize a conversation with him nor a debate in terms of the presidency of the United States. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If 
the polls are correct. And, and this is a, this is a campaign, just like it was a convention like no other. It's a presidential campaign like no other. President Trump has already said that he's not going to be, he doesn't anticipate doing those huge rallies that he's done in the last campaign and he's done during the course of his presidency because of, of the pandemic. Joe Biden, you, you barely, you rarely see him, you know, outside of, of Delaware, outside of his home in Delaware or a nearby TV studio. So, 855-616-1620. All right. If Biden decided, I am ahead, polls show I'm winning, I have nothing to gain by participating in a debate with Donald Trump, even though I think I can stand my ground with him. If Biden were to, Again, take the advice of Nancy Pelosi and punt on the debates. Just decide I'm not going to do it. And his excuse would be, hey, we're in a pandemic here. I, I just I, I'm not going to I'm not going to travel. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to do this. If he were to do that, would it be a game changer? Would it hurt him? Would it be a smart move? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think Biden has to come out of the basement and engage Trump in in three debates i think if he doesn't it could be a game changer the other way and by the way i'm not as confident as some people are that that biden will not do a decent job in the debates but i don't see how he can duck them without that hurting him am i right or wrong 855-616-1620 we discuss in a moment you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nancy Pelosi saying to Joe Biden, essentially, "Hey, you're ahead. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dignify Donald Trump's presidency. I wouldn't stand on the same stage with him. I think you should skip those three debates. The first one scheduled for the end of September. I think that would be a bad strategy for for Biden. And and as I just said, I." I think in some respects, this is all about lowering expectations, um, you know, creating this expectation that Donald Trump is going to wipe the floor with Joe Biden. So if he just survives it, that will look as as a victory. But I think it would be a bad move. Let's start with uh, Steve. Steve, you're in Green Lake. You're on WTMJ. Uh, yeah. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You know, I think uh, if, if Joe Biden didn't go on a debate stage, that's exactly what the Democrats won. I think there's three components here that act in, in Donald Trump's favor in, in terms of the debate. One, Joe Biden is known for gas. Two, Donald Trump is, is is predictable. And also three, I think Joe Biden is very emotional. When you combine those three together, Joe Biden's just going to come off horribly on a debate stage. Well, I mean... I think, I think the Democrats know it. Yeah, well, so, okay, so if you're advising Joe Biden, do you say just, just skip him? And if so, what excuse do you use? I say skip them. I use COVID, COVID as a reason. Um, you know, I, I think, too, you know, Nancy Pelosi kind of brought out, she's like, hey, you know, we don't want to legitimize, you know, the, the president. So I think, you know, their base would understand that, and it wouldn't sway them one way or the opinion. I think if Joe Biden just gets out there and hits the battleground states but avoids the debates, he's going to – it would be in his benefit. Yeah, thanks. Well, I mean, strategically, I guess that's one thing. The, the problem is – 
if you're if you're going to actually campaign, if you're going to come out of your your basement or your den in Delaware, and you're going to go you're going to go on the road, and I'm not convinced they're going to do that. But if, if you're going to go on the road, then the question becomes: How can you legitimately, if you're if you're concerned, if the justification for skipping the debates is going to be, you know, COVID, you know, we we we, we don't want to expose the candidate, et cetera, et cetera. It's you're pretty much then committed to running an exclusively TV campaign that you're going to do everything out of your home because you can't say, all right, I'm going to go to Madison, Wisconsin or Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or I'm going to go to, you know, wherever Miami, Florida, I can do that, but I can't go to Indiana or wherever the the first debate is scheduled for. So, I mean, I think you have to decide one way or the other. Again, I think from the perspective of the hardcore Democrats, of course, they're, they're it doesn't matter. They're going to vote their way. The people that are the hardcore Republican Trump supporters, they're going to vote their way. I do think it's it's bad optics because it, if Biden ducks the debates, it will play into that narrative that he's he's not ready for prime time, that he's lost it, that, you know, he, he's not fit anymore. And I'm not saying I buy that. Again, I'm I'm saying I, I think for people who assume that they're just the Trump is going to wipe the floor with Biden. I think you might be in for a surprise. But at the same time, I understand that the tactical temptation to do it. I just think it would be a a bad, bad excuse. Bernard on the north side, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Bernard. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Good. Thanks what do you got? What, what, what do you got going on in the background there? Something dinging. I'm sorry. I got phones all over the place. Jeff. <laughs> okay. It's a busy morning and a busy day. But listen, what do you think? I think that I think he conduct the debates, get away with it legitimately, and with some contingencies, make the public understand. First of all, if I was Joe Biden or in Joe Biden's camp, I would tell him, I will debate you, but it has to be on an equal or a level playing field. First of all, you release your taxes, I release my taxes, and that'll be the basis of us being on a, a, a level playing field. Because you can debate, and he can bring up his personal finances, but there's no way in the world he could bring up his personal finances without it being released. Second, I would also ask that there be some fact-checking in there. You can't debate a guy who can make up stuff on the spot without fact-checking it. You need to have that in place. You need to have be able to have the moderator, whoever it is, to fact-check each individual. During the debate. So during the debate, so, you know, you say something and the, the, I'm the moderator and I say, okay. Absolutely. They don't go another further until it's fact-checked. Hey, that's not correct. That's false information. You can't debate a guy who's squirming out of it, just making up stuff on the, on the, on the fly. He's going to lose. Yeah. Well, well, contingency and, and you put that in place, if he's willing to abide by that, then if he's not, then I would say, hey, there's no way I can debate you. It's not a level playing field. Okay, so and you I put those conditions. People would understand that. Okay, well, thanks, Nicole. Well, that, that's, that, that's, I mean, obviously, if you say, I'm going to demand the release of your tax returns and all this stuff these refuse to do, that becomes a, a non, that becomes a non-starter. See, I guess the larger point here is, not just from the perspective of what I do for a, a living, because I think, I think a Biden-Trump debate would be must-see TV. I mean, it, it's just regardless, again, regardless of who you support and what side of the aisle you're on, I, I think it would be classic entertaining TV. I, I just do. Now, I appreciate Bernard's thing about the, the fact checking and the stuff like that. And it would be it would be an absolute 
it, it would just be what's the show on Showtime? They call it the, the circus, and they they put it on every week about you know following the you know the political events. It it would be an absolute and total circus. I think it would be great TV, but at, at the same time, I do think it's important for people to see that because I do think. I mean, I think it's fair to ask the question about, you know, given given some of Joe Biden's performances earlier on, it's fair to ask the, the question, okay, is he up to the job? I'm not prejudging that. I'm not, but I think that's a fair question. The best way he could dispute that would be to go on a debate stage and hold his own with Donald Trump or beat Donald Trump. And, and again, that's why I keep saying I, I don't. I think some of the stuff that's going on now isn't necessarily trying to give him an avenue to get out of debates, but rather to lower expectations. So, hey, you hold your own, you you end up winning. I think there's some of that stuff that, that's going on now. I I hope they don't find a way to get out of the debates, because like I say, we, we've had presidential debates for as long as I can remember. I, I think it's good for democracy. I think it would be good to see the candidates side by side. And in this particular case, I think Nancy Pelosi, I think she's given Biden some bad advice.